This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. To get 10% off your first month of therapy, visit the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Supplement Myth-Busting Series on the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. I am Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and of course, your podcast host today. I'm also a board-certified sports dietitian, so talking about supplements and how they may pertain to the athletic person is my bread and butter. If you are new to this series, we kind of go over the who, what, when, where, why, and how of various supplements on the market that are popular, um, popular in general, but also, you know, popular in the athletic community. We talk about sports nutrition supplements, ergogenic aids, or performance boosters, and kind of talk through the science to back them if there is any pros and cons, what they're supposed to do, what they're claiming to do versus what they actually do, and if I recommend them or not. And if you are going to make a purchasing decision, some thoughts to consider in how you go about doing that. Just as a reminder, this podcast episode and all others on the show is not a replacement for individualized nutrition advice, nor does it constitute a relationship with a registered dietitian. Even if you are a client of mine listening to this episode, and I am your dietitian, this does not replace an individualized recommendation to you from me. So keep that in mind when you listen to the episode. It is for educational purposes only, but we are going to get into the weeds a little bit without making it too confusing and intimidating. And you can ask your healthcare provider if it's a good decision for you to take any of these supplements or use any of these products. So with that being said, let's dive in to today's episode, which is on caffeine. And I think this might be a popular one. Um, Caffeine is obviously very popular just in the general population. I would say it's even more popular in the fitness and sports nutrition and athletic world. Um, There's caffeine in so many different products on the market and also in some whole food sources as well. So in terms of the what, what the heck even is caffeine? So caffeine is basically a stimulant or psychoactive substance that primarily affects the central nervous system along with many other systems in the body. And it is the most commonly used one by the general public. So We talk about some kind of random supplements sometimes on this podcast that aren't super commonly used by the general public, but I would say caffeine is not in that category. Obviously, you've heard of caffeine before. Um, In terms of where is caffeine found, typically it can naturally occur in a lot of different plant products like tea, cocoa, and coffee, but as we know, it is also added to many different things and supplements such as pre-workout supplements sports nutrition supplements like gels and chews and sports drinks, fat burning supplements, uh, bars like nutrition bars, and even skincare. (laughs) Um, I'm starting to see caffeine come up a lot in skincare, which is kind of interesting. We're now bathing in it, it seems. Um, And just for reference of this episode, 
I'm going to talk a lot about like milligrams of caffeine. So I wanted to put into context for you, like what a dose serving size typically is. So in a cup of coffee, um, which by a cup of coffee, I mean, eight ounces of coffee, not like, oh, I put it in my favorite cup, which is 24 ounces. No, eight ounces of coffee. This is like your regular drip coffee. If you get espresso or if you get something from Starbucks um, or if you get a lighter roast, it might be a little bit higher. If you get a you know darker roast or something that is decaffeinated, obviously, it might be a little bit lower. But on average, an eight-ounce cup of coffee is about 100 milligrams of caffeine. So that's like a really good thing to keep in the back of your head when I'm talking about you know, dosaging in this episode, um, eight ounces. So about a cup of green tea is usually between 30 and 50 milligrams of caffeine. So a little bit less, but certainly not nothing. And for dark chocolate, um, which is another kind of popular source of caffeine, that's got about 12 milligrams per ounce, assuming it's about 60 to 70% dark chocolate or higher. Um, so again, all this is going to vary a little bit, but just so you have an idea when I'm throwing some numbers around later, um, what that can look like in terms of putting it into context for dosing. So in terms of like, what does caffeine do? We know it's a stimulant. It's a psychoactive substance that affects primarily the central nervous system and a lot of other bodily systems. So things that caffeine does, it can increase neurotransmitter release. Um, It can also improve cognition, um, you know, in terms of cognitive performance in certain doses because of this. It can suppress pain by increasing beta endorphin release, um, which can make it appealing as like an ergogenic aid or a performance booster. It can also increase motor unit recruitment. which can be helpful for like short burst activity um, or, you know, needing to recruit more muscle fibers to perform a task. It can also trigger calcium release, which calcium is a mineral. It is an electrolyte. um, And this can help increase muscle contraction, um, which can basically contribute to that increased motor recruitment and performance benefits. Also, caffeine assists in fatty acid mobilization. Um, So basically, when there's caffeine in the bloodstream, it can help free fatty acids that were previously stored so that they go into the bloodstream and can go around the body and be used as energy. Um, Not to be mistaken, caffeine is not a unit of energy. It is a stimulant that can stimulate fatty acid mobilization to potentially contribute to energy um, available in the body, but caffeine itself is not a unit of energy. Um, and because of this, it can increase thermogenesis, which basically means you're, you're running a little bit, um, a little bit hotter. You're, you're burning a little bit more at rest. So this is why a lot of the times caffeine's really appealing for people as like a weight loss supplement. Um, we're going to talk about some of the cons of that because it can definitely be abused and by no means is it a magic pill, no matter what the bottle is telling you, but basically going over caffeine, like caffeine's really well researched. <laughs> like it's a pretty well researched um, ergogenic aid, again, or performance booster. So it is something that is kind of widely known as a solid performance boosting component that you can take. Um, it's also something that is researched in a lot of different other settings, like you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, improved focus, and mental health. Um, a lot of different areas of research. We're going to focus like primarily on 
um, you know, it, as an ergogenic aid. And I will talk a little bit about some side effects too that may be contraindicated for certain people along with dosing. Thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time, therapy can give you tools to approach your life in a different way. And that's why I am so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable, more accessible, and this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really, really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out just a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in a little as a few days. Um, when I used BetterHelp, it was a few hours. <laughs> um, so it is truly a very quick and easy process compared to um, what I've had clients experience and what I've experienced myself in traditionally trying to find a therapist through the healthcare system. It is really easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There is a link in my description, which is betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash hollyfueled, which is H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. And that link is in the description. Clicking that link helps supports this podcast, and it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you out. Because finding a therapist can be a little bit like dating, if you don't really fit with the first therapist they match you to, which is super common in healthcare and therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you are struggling, book the appointment, get started, consider online therapy with BetterHelp, visit the link in the description. And again, if this is something that you think is going to help you or you're nervous about it, taking the plunge is the most important first step. And then BetterHelp is going to let you sort out the rest. Now let's get back to the episode. So in terms of pros, potential benefits, that is, of caffeine. So since caffeine can reduce basically our perception of pain and fatigue, this can make it a very powerful ergogenic aid. Um, this, you know, caffeine doesn't necessarily like make you faster or, you know, it's again, it's not a unit of energy, but because of how it can stimulate the body um, when used properly in context, which we'll talk about <laughs> in a second, um, it can, you know, basically potentially indirectly benefit your performance by decreasing your perception of fatigue and pain, allowing you to go faster for longer um, or to do the thing you're trying to do for longer. Um, it can also improve like sustained maximal endurance performance. Um, and basically this is in three to six milligram per kilogram of body weight doses. Um, it can improve your endurance performance, um, by like two to 4% is what's been found in research studies. Um, so kind of similar to like a lot of well-researched ergogenic aids, especially things like carbon plated shoes. Um, this can be, you know, it's not quite the same, but, you know, in, in a similar category as like carb loading, um, which is a little bit more effective for certain sports like the marathon. Um, but caffeine can absolutely make an impact when used properly as an ergogenic aid. So 
Now to talk about the dosing. So three to six milligrams per kilogram, what does that look like? For a 150 pound athlete, this is about 200 to 400 milligrams of caffeine as the effective dose. Um, but note that basically most of our research shows that under three milligrams per kilogram of caffeine is what tends to improve cognition without side effects. So there's a little bit of overlap here where we see like higher doses positively affect performance, but negatively affect the rest of our body. <laughs> um, which is also why there are certain caffeine limits in competitive sports that do drug testing, which we'll talk about. So I tend to recommend for most athletes who respond well to and want to use caffeine as an ergogenic aid, about three milligrams per kilogram is plenty. We don't really need to do a ton more than that. Um, but if you respond okay and it is not above what's considered a maximal limits um, by certain athletic uh, you know, associations or what's found in research, then it's probably, it's probably fine. Um, so some hard numbers there. Also caffeine, it's really, really notable. I'm going to say this a few times that it best benefits our performance when it's taken with adequate carbohydrates. Um, especially during endurance activities over two hours. So again, let me repeat that caffeine is great. It's a performance booster, but it works even better when used with adequate carbohydrates. So as you'll hear me say on basically all of these supplement episodes, we need to be practicing proper sports nutrition first before we add any of these fancy supplements. Carbohydrates are king. They are the main unit of energy, actual energy that our body is going to use in life, but also in sports and performance. So when we use caffeine on top of that, it's like the cherry on top of the sundae. So Keeping that in mind, <laughs> about three milligrams per kilogram with carbohydrates um, post-exercise, so kind of a similar um, you know, dose here, can actually also increase our glycogen storage capacity. Um, so this is another potential benefit and pro of caffeine is that when consumed with adequate carbohydrates, again, that's still key, post-exercise, it can help us replenish our glycogen and recover faster. One big gray area like anecdote that I want to put in here too is that as a con, which depending on what podcast you're listening to and what their lens is, I'm a nutrition professional, so this is mine. Um, as a con, caffeine is also an appetite suppressant. And again, some people might say that's a huge pro and that's why it's in weight loss supplements and that's why, you know, we make a lot of money off of those basically. Uh, not we, I'm not in that category, but um, you know, for me, that's a con. Like my endurance athletes already struggle with underfueling and poor eating patterns that can suppress their appetite or cause wonky hunger cues that are all over the place. So a lot of the times caffeine can be an instigator here. So keep in mind, if you have a tough time with eating anyway, after you work out and you just heard me say, oh, caffeine with adequate carbs increases my glycogen storage capacity. I know a lot of people are going to say, I'm going to have my coffee right after I work out but then you're not going to eat anything else. And that's not what I'm saying. That is not beneficial to you in any way. That's probably actually just going to make everything worse. Um, so what we need to do is eat carbohydrates and adequate protein too, to recover. There's so many other podcast episodes that you can listen to about this, including free Instagram posts and other paid services of mine. Um, we need to do the nutrition first and the hydration first. And then if we have caffeine with it or after it, 
that can help improve our glycogen storage capacity. So don't get it twisted. We still need to be doing the basics when it comes to sports nutrition for caffeine to basically give us the most bang for our buck. So now potential cons. So in terms of dosing, over nine milligrams per kilogram of body weight can be toxic, and it can also cause GI issues, nervousness, confusion, tremor, anxiety, increased heart rate, really chronic sleep disturbances, and more. So again, it's not more is better. Um, it's that a little bit's probably decent, but more is definitely not better. And in terms of NCAA requirements, um, it is banned if your urine concentration is over 15 UG per ml, which is about 500 milligrams of caffeine within the two to three hours of your event. So the dosing per body weight, like it, it, it's fine, but we still kind of have this 500 milligram dose limit um, per day. And again, some of that's going to depend on how it shows up in your urine, but that's a lot of caffeine. <laughs> we don't recommend as as like medical and nutrition professionals that people consume more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day anyway, because it can cause some of these negative side effects because it is a stimulant. Um, so keeping that in mind, um, it's not a more is better thing. You're probably better off with about three milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day or 400 milligrams, like whatever comes first, that's your cutoff point. Um, also in terms of cons, um, from a performance benefit standpoint with caffeine, caffeine pre-exercise actually in a couple studies may actually begin to decrease in its performance benefits about two weeks after you start taking it pre-exercise and it may disappear entirely after four weeks. So my people who claim they have to have their coffee in the morning before their run or everything's wrong and they don't eat eating is going to be better of an ergogenic aid for long-term performance benefits and health than caffeine. The caffeine probably stopped working a really long time ago, and the habitual need of it is a placebo effect uh, psychologically. And you might find that when you do cut out the stimulant that you have regularly, you get things like headaches or fatigue or brain fog. And again, the more you feel that you're relying on caffeine, the bigger the red flag, because it should be used as a cherry on top to good nutrition. It should not be used in replacement of solid nutrition. Um, and it can have very detrimental effects when taken too much or just not have any effects at all if taken chronic and long-term. So stuff to consider there as well. In terms of other cons, a big one that I emphasize in most of these episodes is that when it comes to caffeine supplements, um, they do not have to disclose the dose. And if they do disclose the dose, unless it, it, unless it is third-party tested, that might be very wrong. <laughs> um, and this can be a problem, especially if you are getting drug tested, if you're competing at a high level, or if you're competing for the NCAA. Um, I mean, I would not take any caffeinated supplement unless you are 100% sure it's third-party tested and that what they say is in the product is in the product and that that is within NCAA um, and other basically parameters. Um, food is better regulated. So if you are getting it from coffee or tea, you can kind of probably have a better idea of what's actually in the product. And 
it might be safer um, in specific doses. So again, supplements can also contain like other stimulants. Um, and a lot of the times when combined with caffeine, that's what the supplement may claim is going to give you like the most performance boosting effect or the most fat burning or weight loss effect when really this can actually be really dangerous. Um, and again, these things aren't really well regulated. So I tend to not recommend pre-workout supplements to anyone, unless you're just going to use like caffeine, like from coffee or green tea, or maybe like a sports nutrition gel. Um, I don't typically recommend it from a pre-workout supplement because it's dicey and you can get it from real food. So let's just do that instead. And sometimes things like green tea, coffee, like they have other health benefits potentially as well in certain doses. So why not get more bang for our buck? And actually in reality, it might be even cheaper. So um, again, supplements can interact with medications, other supplements, herbs, and too much caffeine can also wreck, you know, what, even if it's from whole foods, you know, can also interfere with other supplements, medications, et cetera. Um, so all of that to keep in mind. Another consideration is that decaffeinated coffee and tea sometimes do still contain some caffeine. And a lot of the times, if you are getting decaffeinated coffee, I recommend looking for basically steam decaffeinated versions because if it is decaf and it does not say that on the box, um, it could be decaffeinated via harsh chemicals. And then you're kind of getting maybe a potentially more chemically product in your body, especially if you're using it on a daily basis that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, so if you feel the need to do decaf or if you're doing it for whatever reason, make sure you're looking for steam pressed um, caffeine or decaffeinated options and know that it might still have a little bit of caffeine in it. So if you're really sensitive or you really need to avoid it, maybe even avoid the decaf stuff. I think the other technical term for this is Swiss water processed. Um, so that's something you can look for in like coffee specifically. And then in your teas, a lot of herbal teas are naturally decaffeinated if they don't have basically like actual tea in them. But if you're looking for like, you know, decaf black tea that would otherwise have caffeine in it, you want to look for Swiss water processed. So some other considerations. So again, normal people not recommended to have um, any more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. So again, it depends on where you're getting your caffeine from, but if you're getting it from supplements, like that can add up really quickly. And again, you don't necessarily know how much is actually in the supplement unless it's third-party tested. Um, if you're getting it from, you know, Starbucks and it's a venti drink, there's a really good chance it has more than 400 milligrams of caffeine in it. Um, especially if it is like a cold brew um, or an espresso-based drink as they tend to be a bit stronger or a light roast. Um, a lot of people have a misconception about that, actually. Light roast is higher in caffeine because it's roasted for less time. Um, dark roast, well, sometimes it has a more richer taste. It does tend to have a little bit less caffeine. Um, so fun fact there. But things to consider, right? Like, that can add up quickly, um, especially if we said eight ounces has 100 milligrams. And some of that other stuff I just said might be stronger. You know, it, I, I know a lot of people having 32 ounces of coffee a day, um, which is technically over the recommended dose for healthy people. If you are pregnant, um, you want to aim for under 200 milligrams of caffeine per day. That is recognized to be safe for pregnancy and ha doesn't have, you know, side effects. Um, if you are breastfeeding, it's under 200 to 300 milligrams per day. So somewhere in the middle to a little bit less than the other two parameters. And again, 
probably less than 500 milligrams um, if you are getting drug tested as an athlete. Um, know that, ath um, or I'm sorry, caffeine, <laughs> um, again, it's not energy. So it's a stimulant. We still need to, you know, be doing solid nutrition. Um, we need to be fueling properly before and during and after our workouts and throughout the rest of the day adequately, really before we even mess around with caffeine as a potential benefit. For a lot of my clients, we remove caffeine for a period of time or significantly reduce it, especially if they are having symptoms like anxiety, um, headaches, if they are feeling like they're having um, like blood sugar control issues, or if they are feeling like they have a low appetite or like they can't stop eating, <laughs> um, you know, especially if they're in the pattern of, you know, caffeine, exercise, eat a little bit later, and then eat everything in the kitchen cabinet at the end of the day or are starving or feel like they're good all day, but then can't control themselves later in the day or have traumatic relationships with food. Um, I have a whole episode on this. So scroll back to earlier um, this year, 2023, or it might be even in December of 2022, but I did an episode on why I typically recommend food and water before caffeine, um, especially in the morning. And this is always a controversial topic. Um, and a lot of it is what I see in practice, my opinions, um, and a lot of research put together. This is not like a researched topic itself, but by extrapolating data from other research topics and putting together my clinical experience, working with hundreds, if not thousands of people, this is a pattern <laughs> that I see. And this is why I have a whole episode to address it. So again, caffeine is not energy. If you're relying on caffeine for energy, especially in the morning or the afternoon, like if you have a really emotional response to what I'm saying right now, and you're like, screw her, I need it. I have kids. I work overnight. She doesn't understand. I, I don't understand necessarily your personal situation, but I've worked with a lot of people just like you who have gotten through this without relying on caffeine for energy and have improved their health. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you may feel like you have room for improvement with your nutrition and your health, and you're looking for free advice. <laughs> so this is my you know kind of free educational content on this topic. Um, but it's something that, again, I, I tend to be stingy on for clients, because especially if they're runners, because a lot of you are having trouble fueling adequately anyway, and a lot of you are overly stressing your bodies and experiencing some of the long-term consequences of that, and I'm trying to prevent you from digging yourself into a very deep hole. Um, when it comes to how caffeine works in the system, it has a half-life of up to 10 hours. So even if you do have caffeine, you know, at six in the morning, um, it can still be in your system 10 hours later. So you could still have it a little bit, you know, after like three, 4 PM. Um, so again, this is also another kind of parameter I set with a lot of my clients where I do not recommend caffeine consumption after noon, especially if you, um, are having trouble with sleep, like even for people who are having trouble with sleep and just they only have their caffeine before noon, and maybe they they like have under 400 milligrams a day, they had their caffeine before noon, but they're still having trouble with sleep. A lot of the times, if we reduce their caffeine intake or even switch to decaf or cut it out completely, their sleep improves a lot because other parameters around their diet improve because they don't have an appetite suppressant. If they're a slower metabolizer of caffeine, they don't still have it in their system. 
you know, when they're trying to go to sleep and their sleep improves. So even if you're like, I don't know, I didn't have an afternoon cup of coffee. I don't think that's why I didn't sleep well. Your morning cup of coffee could still have something to do with it, especially if you are a slower metabolizer. Slower metabolizers tend to like basically have more prolonged effects of caffeine, whereas fast metabolizers tend to process it pretty quickly um, and don't necessarily feel like it affects them that much. Um, But that's going to depend a little bit perception-wise, individual to individual. So keeping that in mind, um, it can have a half-life of up to 10 hours, and it can peak in your system typically about an hour after you consume it. Um, So this can come into play with sports nutrition recommendations, like when should I take caffeinated gels versus not? Um, you know, typically it's going to start working right away. It's going to be a steady increase to peak, but it is going to peak an hour later and then start to dip. Um, so for a lot of my people who tolerate caffeine well, and they're within the limits of where they should be around how much they, they're supposed to have per day, they're doing a good job with their nutrition. And now we can start to play with this ergogenic aid. We're like, building the base. And then we're kind of reaching a new level where we can start to play with some of this stuff. I might have them alternate their caffeinated gels. So every 30 minutes, they're taking a gel. Every other gel is a caffeinated gel. Um, That way, they're always going to have caffeine in their system while they're exercising to benefit them. And there's not going to be like too many peaks and valleys. Um, So you could do it that way. You could also do it where you basically time it around like a harder part of your race. So like if you're running the Boston Marathon, for example, and you know that the hills tend to start around mile 16, maybe you take your first gel like 20, 30 minutes before you reach the first hill. So that that caffeine's really starting to hit your system during the part of the course that's hard. And then you take another caffeinated gel during the hill so that it starts to hit after you've completed them and you're starting to feel the fatigue. So that could be one way you time it specifically depending on the race that you have. But if you're running something flat like Chicago, or if you're running New York City where it's kind of hilly the whole time, (laughs) um, alternating your gels can be helpful. Keep this in mind too. Um, Different sports nutrition supplements, again, they're not all regulated. So you do want to look for even gels that are third-party tested if you can. Um, And the caffeinated doses in these varies so much. If you go back to a more recent supplement myth-busting series comparing sports nutrition gels to each other, I talk a lot about this as a category of how I ranked certain gels. There's gels that have zero milligrams of caffeine, 25 milligrams of caffeine, all the way up to like 200 milligrams of caffeine. Um, So again, with some of those higher dose gels, like Morton is one, Precision Hydration has a gel that has 100 milligrams as well, Um, or SIS Beta Fuel, I think has like 150 milligrams. With those higher um, dose gels, like I would consider a higher dose anything over 50 milligrams, because that's like basically taking a cup of coffee, like to your face, right? Um, it's a lot of caffeine to take in one swallow. Um, you know, I would say you want to be mindful of how many of those you're using in a race, because again, it could be really easy for a five hour marathoner to take like five Morton gels that have caffeine in them on a course, even if they're alternating, if they need a gel every 30 minutes, Um, and to really easily get over that 500 milligram limit, especially if they had, you know, coffee before they even started running, like that's not necessarily something that I recommend. So 
just be careful around some of those higher dose gels, save them for when you really need them and maybe cut yourself off after like having two or three of the higher calf gels, especially if you had caffeine before you even started your event and be mindful too, that a lot of sports drinks like tailwind, um, certain scratch flavors can also have caffeine in them. Noon is another one that can have caffeine in it. Again, you can scroll back and review the supplement myth busting series on sports drinks. I compared all of this in there. I don't typically recommend combining caffeinated sports drinks with caffeinated gels and then also having coffee before. Like that's way too much caffeine. Um, you're probably going to end up with GI issues. And if you do take more than 400 milligrams of caffeine, Another potential con is it can start to be a diuretic and be dehydrating. Um, so under 400 milligrams, it's fluid. You know, it still kind of counts towards hydration, but I would still say asterisk, not as much as water or electrolytes. <laughs> you want to do that first. Um, and then after 400 milligrams, it does start to become dehydrating. So you want to be mindful of that too when you're running because you don't want to dehydrate <laughs> while you're out there faster than you already are just by sweating. So those are some things to consider. So again, for training considerations, caffeine is not a replacement for food and water. We need to absolutely do that first. If you find that when you have caffeine and it makes you really pumped up and then you go to start your run and you feel like you're going to pass out after 15 minutes, or you feel like you slow down a lot. Um, this is me personally. I will tend to not have it before harder workouts. Um, I will have it during the workouts because I find I respond better to this and I will focus on carbs and hydration pre-workout so that I can stay very mellow. <laughs> um, this kind of also helps just my mindset, you know, around tackling something difficult. So that's something to consider if you feel that way when you take caffeine pre-workout, maybe try just having it during and focusing on your nutrition before or skipping it altogether. Um, because caffeine again is an ergogenic aid unless it doesn't feel good for you, then it's, then it's not useful. Um, so we want to keep that in mind too. You can consider having caffeinated beverages, um, like after having your post run meal on long run days or with it, but again, not in replacement of it. It may help with the recovery process in terms of increasing glycogen storage, um, and helping replenish that but it can also suppress appetite and be dehydrating in large amounts. So be wary of that. I would also say have some before your workouts if you tolerate it okay, if you feel very level-headed like when you take it, but consider maybe not doing it daily, leaving it for special occasions or even reducing it um, if you're trying to increase your tall, you know, increase your sensitivity to it pre-race because like we said, basically any ergogenic performance benefits of having it pre-workout disappears after 4 weeks. Um so there is some val validity behind some of the claims of, hey, if you really want the caffeine to affect you, like skip it leading up to the race and then have it kind of a couple days before the race to reintroduce it back in and know that you will kind of be extra sensitive to it and it may have a better effect on you um, for race week. Don't try anything new on race day. Um, you know, again, practice this in training. What I do personally um, is I tend to have, I probably have about 12 ounces of coffee every day, most days. Um, I just really enjoy it. I like it. Like I wish that my favorite thing to do is buy like Stoke or Starbucks cold brew and just put like a vanilla creamer in it or one that I make myself. If they sold a decaf one, that was Swiss water pressed, I would buy that over their original. Like I would prefer to not have the caffeine um, because I don't feel like I need it. 
again, I'm a dietitian, my nutrition thought about this. I'm very adamant about food and water and making sure that's all tied away before introducing caffeine. Um, so that's just my personal take on that, but I do have that every day. Um, I pretty much don't have it on workout days that I'm nervous for or long run days because I find any caffeine just exacerbates that and makes me feel kind of shaky. Um, I will have it during long runs. I will have it during speed workouts that are an hour or longer. If I'm having like a gel, again, I'll typically alternate gels and I tend to use like a 25 to 50 milligram dose gel for training. Um, cause again, I don't really feel like I need the caffeine. Um, and I know that I tolerate it well enough to save it for race day for during. And then during, um, you know, if it's like a 20 miler and it's got like three by three miles at marathon pace and it's like my peak workout of the training cycle. Yeah. I might have a Morton 100 in there. <laughs> like I might throw a hundred milligram dose in there. Um, along with on race day, like on the Boston marathon course, but it's not something that I use super habitually. Um, I use it enough to know that I tolerate it and how I respond to it so that I can use it strategically on race day and still be sensitive to it. That is what I'm trying to say. Um, so again, caffeine best when we don't rely on it for energy. Cause when we do that, it stops working as effectively and can negatively impact other things. But when you strategically can absolutely be an ergogenic aid. So that's something to consider. If you need caffeine to stimulate like a bowel movement daily, if you feel like you can't go number two, you can't poop without your morning coffee, it is time to reevaluate your nutrition and your digestive health because that should not be the case. Um, you know, caffeinated beverages can help induce a bowel movement, um, but they should not be something you're relying on. Again, it's a stimulant. It's basically a widely accepted stimulant. It is not necessary for like health or daily life and doesn't really have a ton of health benefits beyond potentially more cognitive focus and performance benefits in lower doses. So just considering that, um, keep that in mind too. That's something I help actually a lot of people with. You can go back and check out my gut health for athletes masterclass that I did in August. You can still catch the recording. I will link that in the show notes. If you're looking for more information on optimizing your gut health. I hope this episode was helpful. I hope you learned a thing or two about caffeine that maybe you didn't know before and have some new considerations on how to use it. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the food and water before coffee episode that I did um, in late 2022, um, because I think it'll help put some of these other recommendations into context. Make sure you share this with a friend, share it on your social media, tag me. Um, I love it when you guys share the podcast. Um, if you feel so inclined, I would also really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice. Um, just helps the show so much. Love reading those. I'm going to start reading them on the show again, just to shout you guys out. Cause I really, really appreciate those. Um, and yeah, I hope this was helpful. I hope you're enjoying the supplement myth busting series. We have a couple more episodes coming for 2023. And again, your feedback, if you want me to continue this into the next year, I have literally so many others that I could discuss that people have asked me to do that you know, we covered a lot of them this year, but not all of them. Um, so if this is something that you enjoy, uh, let me know because I would love to continue it if it's something that you guys want to hear more of. Until next time, happy running.